Well, good morning, y'all. I'm Stephen Cooper. I get to be the pastor of Harbor City Church, and I want to just welcome you. Um, I think Ben said it best, like, what a week and what a mess, right? Um, this is nuts. And it reminds me that it is also a really good time to be connected to our church. Um, whether you're here in the lot or you're online, um, it's a good time to connect to God uh, because God has things to say. Uh, we're learning in the, paper, in the part of the Bible that we're looking at, we're learning how to build our lives on the solid bricks of God's promises the bricks of God's promises so that we can experience new life in the new year, right? We're, we're trying to experience God's new life in this new year. That's the title of our message series. And I feel like, I mean, it's just, it's what Ben said in the call to worship. I mean, last week is a good reminder that there is no promise. There's no promise that 2021 is going to be better than last year. Uh, but our hope is not in politics, our hope is not in circumstances, but it's in the fact that Jesus is king. It's in the fact that we serve someone who is so powerful and so present that he is actively working right now, even in the midst of all of the chaos. That God's promises are true. The promises of Jesus, his presence are with us no matter what happens. That God is actually building a new world. That's what he's doing right now. He's building a new world and he's inviting us to be a part of that world. And sometimes the darker the world gets, the brighter his world looks. And so we're building uh, our lives on this. And what's amazing for us is that we're not just building our lives on a hope in the future, but we're building our lives on things that God already did. Okay, we're not just looking forward in hope, but we're looking back with joy on the reality of who Jesus is, who he was on earth and who he is now. And so I want to do a shout out to the kids. Um, some of you that are here in the parking lot, uh, some of you that are online, you're in the room or you're maybe on the couch with your folks. Um, kids, there is one question that you ask more than any other question. Do you know what that question is? Yeah, the parents know it because they've heard it all the time. It's the question, why? Why? And sometimes that question can get parents a little bit frustrated because, well, sometimes it's because they don't know and they feel like they're supposed to know. And so they don't like to say, I don't know. They want to just keep answering and it becomes this like competition thing. Um, other times the answer might be more complicated than you can understand. And parents know that and they're not really sure how to articulate the answer to the question that you ask. And so but it is a great question. The question why is an amazing question. And we're, uh, the, the Bible actually likes it when you ask the question why. Okay, and so this week and next week, uh, I'm going to actually have some moments when I'm going to ask you to ask that question of the Bible. Okay, so be ready. Online, you can say it in the room. You can say it to the TV so you don't have to say it to your parents. Um, we're going to ask the question why. And so the part of the Bible that we're going to look at begins with the word for. Okay, we're going to start by looking at verse 2. That's really the verse we're going to look at today. And the, ver the word for in the Bible very often means because. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at verse 1 really quickly, and then we're going to ask why, because verse 2 is explaining the because of verse 1. You'll get it. 
you'll get it. So verse one, we talked about last week in Romans eight. Um, and this is what verse one of Romans eight says. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And again, last week we saw that this meant that if you join God's family by committing to Jesus, you know, you're committing to follow Jesus, you will never experience condemnation no matter what you've done. Now, kids, it's time to ask the question. Ready? Ask it with me. Why? Why? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 2 tells us why there's no condemnation for people in Christ. Let's read verse 2 together. For, again, because the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This verse, it's so amazing. This verse is packed with really, really dense theology. Uh, there are 22 words in this verse. And in these 22 words, the entire Bible is contained. From Genesis to Revelation, all in one sentence. And so this is going to stretch us to think and to understand the message of the Bible. The more you think about this one sentence, the slower that you go over it, the more you look at the words in this one sentence, the more of the Bible you will understand. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So there's two laws described in this verse. The law of the spirit of life and the law of sin and death. And the word law, it just means instruction. Okay, it means instruction. And these are two sets of instruction that can govern how we live. And so we're going to look first at the, the second of these two laws. Uh, it's the law of sin and death. Okay, you see that, that it's at the end of the verse, <clears throat> the law of sin and death. Um, this is referring to God's condemning commands. Okay, take a note. The law of sin and death are God's condemning commands. Now, if you've been with us for a while, this is the same law that Paul described in Romans chapter 7. This is a reference back to Romans 7. And it's the standards of God that we can't meet. But God makes it, or Paul makes it clear in Romans 7 that the fault isn't the standard. It's the sin that's in us. It's, it's our inability to follow God's instruction. Now, for Bible scholars, if you're a person that likes to do deeper Bible study, I'm going to give you something, but I don't want to confuse everybody else. Um, but uh, Paul primarily was referring to the law that God gave to Moses that included the Ten Commandments um, in, in Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, and it governed sort of the life of the people of Israel. Um, we know that because you can see in different parts of Romans 3, 4, 5, and 7, you can see that. But this also applies to all of us when we disobey God when we act out of our selfishness, when we act out of our lust, when we hurt other people, when we get angry and vengeful, something happens to us. And what happens to us is actually spelled out in Romans 5, 6, and 7. Sin takes more and more power over our lives. Sin is personified. It's like this abusive master that can, that can control us. 
Uh, and its power increases when we give in. Okay? Sometimes it feels like its power goes away because the temptation's gone after you sin. But actually what happens is every time we give in to sin, it puts like another hook into our heart, into our life. And it takes more control over us. And so sin actually rules some parts of who we are. All of us have reactions that seem to be controlled by sin. All of us have situations or relationships where when we're in those situations or relationships, we do things that we shouldn't do. It feels, I mean, we saw this in Romans 7, feels like there's something evil that is controlling part of us. And so God gave his instruction to us so that we would experience him in our lives. God gave us his instruction so that we would know that every part of our life, God is with us and he loves us and he cares about us and he wants us to follow him and he gives us his presence and his power so that we can follow him. And so he gave us this instruction to help us experience him in our lives. But often the worst parts of us seem to be too strong. And when we don't follow him, it brings about death. It brings about death. And so God's condemning commands are things that produce in us sin and death. So God has this, he's got a standard. Um, and, and God doesn't just have this sort of arbitrary standard that wants just to make you feel guilty because you don't measure up to it. That's not the design. The, actually, the design of God in his instruction, in his commands, in his laws, it's part of him remaking the world. It's part of the world that God is trying to make where he fixes what's wrong. But what we found in the letter, this whole letter that was written to the Romans, um, in this letter, we see that without Jesus, without the presence and the power of Jesus, we just can't do it. There are parts of Romans 7, especially where, where Paul says, I have the desire to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. We're like, yeah, that's me. And so God gives us, uh, he's building this world of love and joy and grace and understanding and strength and service and boldness and courage. But when we sin... We vandalize that world. When we sin, we run away from that world that God is building and we run back into a world of selfishness and anger and hatred. And it brings forth death. And so this is bad news, but Paul very often tells us the bad news in the context of the good news so that we'll understand how good the good news is. There is good news. The law of sin and death is something that we have been set free from by another law. And that's the law of the spirit of life. Right? That's the beginning of this verse. He says the law of the spirit of life. Now, if you want to write a note down, that is the gospel. The law of the spirit of life is the good news of Jesus. It's the good news that instructs us, that teaches us about how Jesus lived and died and rose again. It's the instruction of how Jesus gives us his spirit, right? He gives us the spirit of God. So the spirit in the law of the spirit of life, this is the Holy Spirit. And so what we see is that the gospel brings God's powerful and his personal presence to give us new life. 
while it forgives us when we fail. I want you to see, like these words are important. The law of the spirit of life, the good news brings God's presence to us. That you can't obey God's condemning commands on your own, but the good news is that you're not alone. You've got God's personal presence with you if you believe in Jesus. And this Holy Spirit, this presence of God that fills us with God's presence, his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his understanding, his like gentleness with us, like his forgiveness, it, it fills us and it changes us. It gives us life. And the life that this verse is describing, the law of the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit brings life. And it's not just aliveness, but it's the life to come. It's eternal life. The gospel is the instruction of God that brings his spirit and it brings eternal life. It changes everything. If you've been around this church for any amount of time, you know that God has something that he is building. I mean, I've said this already, but God, there's a new heaven and a new earth that's coming. The, the, the way the Bible ends is with a brand new universe. It's a brand new heaven and earth where everything is made right, where we live in perfect communion with God, with each other, with ourselves, and with the world. It's so unlike the world that we're living in right now. And the gospel says that that future life begins to invade our lives when we commit to following Jesus. This is why it's good news that there's something new that's born in us. So we begin now to live in ways that we will live like in God's perfect future. And so this is why you feel love. This is why you have peace. This is why you have joy and patience. This is why you can make progress in self-control. Right? These things take a hold of our hearts because we have God's spirit and God's spirit brings the life to come. He brings the world to come into our lives. When you commit to Jesus as king, God's spirit births something new in you. It makes, like, it makes a new part of you alive and it's a part that is free from sin and death. And it's grounded in the reality of the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. And so we too who follow him have new power and life. And so the gospel sets us free from the law of sin and death. This new instruction about Jesus, it teaches us about the new world that God is making. And I got to tell you, this isn't just a religious fairy tale. Okay, this isn't just like some happy, inspiring story. Because this verse is telling us, it's describing God's acting in history. Okay, the story of Jesus is one that is grounded in history. Um, historians don't argue about the fact that Jesus lived. 
Um, atheistic historians very often argue about whether Jesus actually rose from the dead. No historian argues that he died, but there's arguments about whether he rose from the dead because, well, they say that doesn't happen anymore. People don't just come alive and live forever after they've died. And so therefore that can't be true. Like scientists, some, some scientists would say that can't be true because it doesn't happen anymore. When the Christian claim is like, we're not saying it should happen anymore. It never, it can't ever happen again because there's only one Messiah, right? Jesus brings this about like this is the story. This verse is telling us the story of God acting in Jesus in history. And the reason this is important is because it also reminds us that this freedom, this freedom that we experience from sin and death, it's free for us when we believe in Jesus, but it wasn't free for Jesus. And so we need to understand as we look at the reality of this freedom that comes when God gives us his spirit and that spirit sets us free from sin and death, we need to remember that this gift of God that comes in our salvation, right? Forgiveness is described in verse one. In verse two, we see freedom. So the gospel gives both forgiveness and freedom. And this freedom comes to us. It's free for us, but it came at great cost to Jesus. We need to understand this because it helps us understand the depth of the love that is expressed in God's offer. God is offering us forgiveness and freedom, and he can do that because of the incredible cost that Jesus paid for us. The reason that the gospel of Jesus sets us free from sin and death is because Jesus suffered our sin and death. Think about this. It was jealousy and sins of jealousy that conspired against Jesus. It was sins of selfishness that betrayed Jesus. Sins of self-righteousness arrested Jesus and condemned him. It was self-justifying sins that whipped him and beat his body. It was the sins of vengeance that nailed his hands and feet to the cross. Friends, it was our sins that put him there. It was our sins that put him there. Like the sins that Jesus endured in his life in his arrest, his betrayal, his, his suffering, and then his crucifixion, like those sins that were committed against him as they did all of that to him are the sins that we commit. It's our sins that plunged Jesus into death. Jesus, he endured it all. Jesus willingly took our sins. 
Jesus willingly received the punishment of our sins. He allowed himself to be betrayed. He allowed himself to be convicted. He didn't speak up in his own defense. When he was mistreated, he didn't respond in the same way. Jesus endured all of that so that he could find us in our sin. So often, we are tempted to think that what we've done means that we are too far from Jesus, that he would never love us ever again. Sometimes we think, okay, I need to fix this part of my life. I need to break out of this so that I can then come to Jesus. But the cross says otherwise. The cross says no matter how far you've gone, he has gone into that sin. He's endured your sin. He has entered in. He has gone as far as you are to meet you in your sin to lead you out. think that Jesus wants us to be reminded of what our sins did to him. I think Jesus wants us, when we confess our sins, to see the impact that our sins had on his body on the tree. When he was nailed to the cross, he wants us to see his suffering, not so that we would feel guilty, but so that we would feel his love. so that you would know that he took it, he endured it, and he did it for you. So that you would come home, and so that you would realize that he is glad that you're home. Jesus' love forgives, and his power sets us free. Jesus wants us to know that though he entered into death, he also rose from the dead. He showed that his power is stronger than even the power of our sins. That the sins for which he died could not hold him there and they can't hold you there either. So Jesus wants to set you free. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, it's the love of Christ that compels me. He says, I'm compelled by the love of Christ. How could I not have my entire life be different if this is what Jesus has done for me? God is building a new world and I've been vandalizing that world. I've been rejecting that world. I've been building my own world around me. And though I see all kinds of narcissism in in my life and society, like, man, I'm guilty of it too. And yet Jesus found us as individuals. He comes for us personally to lead us out, to bring us with him, to set us free. So I want to give you some things 
ways to take action this week, ways to live in the light of this reality. So first, I'm going to give you four things. First, I'm going to ask you all to commit to following Jesus. Whether you're a Christian or you're not, commit again to following Jesus. Who wouldn't want this love? Who would want a God like this? A God who came and gave himself. We're going to dive into the depth of that in the next verse next week and what that means. But commit to following Jesus because he'll set you free. He will set you free. To become a Christian, if you're not, just means just to say to Jesus, Jesus, I give you my life. You're now my authority. I'm going to follow you no matter where you go. And I know it's weird, right? It's weird to think, okay, really, I'm going to establish uh, an invisible person as the ultimate authority in my life? Like, I get it. It's kind of weird. Um, You can get to know this authority by reading the Bible, by being in church, by talking to people. Um, Jesus, he will be the ultimate expression of loving authority in your life. All of his authority he will use to love you if you commit to him. And so commit to following Jesus. If you've been, if you've drifted, if you've been a Christian for your whole life or for, you know, a month or whatever, recommit to following Jesus. Commit to following the Jesus who sets you free. And then uh, second, second thing, I want you to spend time with him who set you free. Okay, this week, I want you to spend time with Jesus, specifically as the Jesus who sets you free. Meaning like when you pray, when you read the Bible, can you make an effort to remember that you're spending time with this Jesus, the one who sets you free from sin and death, the one who loves you so much that he's willing to take on all of your sin. And I do want to say here that sometimes freedom from sin, sometimes it just, sometimes, let's see, sometimes it looks like you not wanting to do what you did. Okay? Are you with me? Um, Sometimes sin means I'm never doing that again, and you walk in new life gloriously leaving addictive behavior, sinful behavior, bad habits, bad patterns behind, and walking in new life. Sometimes that's what freedom looks like. But there's, there's grades to freedom. For some of us, freedom looks like, Jesus, I'm sorry for what I did. I don't want to do that again. Because bondage is you do it and you still want to do it even more, right? And so sometimes the victory of Jesus, the freedom that he brings, comes into our lives progressively. And so sometimes freedom looks, it's just, hey, Jesus, I didn't want to do what I did. And when you spend time with Jesus, you get to remember that he brings both freedom and forgiveness, Freedom and forgiveness. And you want to remember that forgiveness comes before freedom. So you don't have to like walk in freedom in order to receive forgiveness, right? Verse one comes before verse two. 
There's no condemnation because Jesus sets you free. But when you fail, you can go back to, ver- uh, you can go back to verse one. Then third, I want you to ask yourself this question. Um, who in your life needs to know that they are free in Jesus? The who in your life needs to know that they are free in Jesus? God's got people in your life that need your care, that need your support. People that are struggling with sin, they're struggling with addiction. And they are having trouble connecting to Jesus. They think they're too far gone. They think that Jesus can't continue to love them given what they have done and who they are. They need you. They need you in your life to say, hey, look, I don't have this all figured out, but let me, can I share a couple of verses with you in the Bible that I heard in church this week? There's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ. And the gospel sets you free from sin and death. We really do. We need each other. Because sometimes we can get there on our own, but sometimes we can't get there unless someone else helps bring us there. Sometimes we're the paralytic on the mat. We can't move toward Jesus and someone else has to pick us up and carry us into his presence. So who needs that from you this week? And then the last thing um, that I want you to do this week is I want you to write out Romans 8 one verse at a time. So write out Romans 8, one verse at a time. So last week I said, just listen to it, read it over and over and over again. Um, so I want to tell you to do something different. Um, so, like, so every day or a few times this week, um, just write out one or two verses on a piece of paper or on your phone, type it in. Um, go through the act of actually writing out the verses Again, one or two at a time, and then write the verse in your own words. Okay, write the verse in a way that would help you explain it to someone else, uh, because the act of doing that will help you see just how powerful these verses are. It's so easy to, I mean, I do this, like I listen to this chapter probably 10 or 15 times this week, and I can't tell you how hard it was for me to actually pay attention to it. It's challenging because I, I know it. I've almost memorized, I mean, I've memorized most of it. And, and it's so easy just to let it gloss over. And it's just a bunch of words. But when you slow down and actually write it out, something happens. You think, oh my goodness, I've never thought about what this word means or what this phrase means. So I want to encourage you to do that, to ground yourself in what God has to say to you. So God is building a new world and he's doing this right now. And in the world God is building, if you're part of his family, there's no condemnation and he is setting you free by giving you his personal, powerful presence so that you can know him and walk with him and experience his freedom. God is active and real in your life. He's giving you assurance and confidence 
and security. He is freeing you from shame and guilt so that you can walk filled with his spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your forgiveness and then the freedom that comes. We couldn't do this, yet you have saved us. Thank you for even the feelings that many of us have right now. We feel freer because we're being reminded of your word. That your word gives us strength. It gives us that sense of your presence. I pray that that would be true for all of us. And that this week we would walk with you, experience your freedom, and share that with others. Use us this week as we worship you. We pray in your name, amen.